not that this tragedy is different than other tragedies except maybe in magnitude. And so I'd like to just start today praying for those those people down there. And um, I'll speak about it a little more actually in the midst of the message. It's really ironic the way things worked out and the topic of the message this week. But um, And really what I want to focus on is not simply just praying for the people of Haiti, but also praying for the churches that are there um, because they've got a big work to do. And so uh, if you guys would just bow with me, uh, let's, just, let's just pray together. <clears throat> Father, I, uh, we come. Just bow before you, trusting in who you are, in your power, your majesty, your holiness, your righteousness. Trusting in your foreknowledge and in all that you've always known. Trusting in, in your love for your creation. Trusting in, in who we see Scripture to say that you are. Trusting in every one of your eternal attributes, your, your omnipotence, being all-powerful, your, 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 your complete knowledge of all things, your, your ever-presence in every situation and in every time and in every place. We trust in you. And Father, we pray for the people of Haiti and the, and the suffering and the trial that so many are dealing with. So many lost lives. So many broken families. So many orphaned children. Father, I just pray for Your grace to be shed upon them as well. That in the midst of this, Father, just as we studied last week, Father, that You would show them Your glory. That they would see Your truth. That You would work in this situation to bring great good for this people. Father, I pray that You would just move us, touch us, That as we see them hurting, we wouldn't simply just pity them, but that we would act. That we would support them in prayer, in opportunities of giving, supporting people who are going to help, supporting people who are bringing goods. Father, I pray that you might use this to ignite a spark in us that doesn't simply call us to look at the nations of the world, but to look at the people of our own city and see them and know how desperately they need to see You in us. That You would put in us a desire to see Your truth lived out loud. To put in us a desire to bring You glory and honor in all that we do and all that we say so that even in Springfield, Missouri, that Your name would be glorified above all other names. And that the message of the cross would be exalted and that that people's lives would be changed. But that it wouldn't stop here. 
that, that the thing you're doing in us, that work that you're doing in us, that it might go as far as Haiti and beyond. Father, we trust you. We know who you've said to be. I pray that you give us courage, boldness, wisdom, and the power of your Spirit to walk like we trust you. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We do need to be praying for those people. And I, I, I say this with, with as much sympathy as I can, but it shouldn't be just for those people that we're praying. Last week we saw that God can use terrible situations, devastating situations as, as we might measure them, to show His glory. We started into a five-week series that um, focuses on the, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And we saw how Jesus didn't act as people might have expected Him to act, but He did it for a very specific purpose of demonstrating His love. Uh, the, the very specific purpose of bringing glory to His Father. And we're going to step back into John chapter 11 today. We'll see another aspect of the story. I, I hope to present to you another, another part of the story and, and demonstrate uh, a picture of who God is and, and, and how He might work. But before we do that, before we, before we get to it, I need to establish one thing, because really this is going to be what the heart of the message is about. <clears throat> and that is that God is sovereign. He rules over His creation. And His providential care and concern... It's something that we oftentimes don't recognize but should recognize in our lives. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish my purpose. You see, He knows. <laughs> he knows the beginning from the end. His decrees and His plans are unstoppable. Our God knows no surprises. He knows no surprises. To, to summarize that, the, the, this point or this thought is, is that there is no event or, or anything that has ever happened since the beginning of time that God has not made to happen or at least allowed to happen. <clears throat> and it's this attribute of God, it's this, it's this quality of God that, that brings Him to this place by, by, by default, really, above all other things. There's no other thing that, that, that can make this claim. There's no other thing that, that Scripture would, would put in this place. And, and so by default, 
This, this quality, this attribute of God, it places Him in this position that is truly worthy of our worship and adoration. There is nothing else, nothing else that comes close. It, it, it puts Him in a place that is worthy of our allegiance and our obedience. If there is any other team to be on, this is the one that we should align ourselves with. This, 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 this way of God, His purposes and His plans, it should be that we align ourselves with them and obey His commands. And this quality of God, this, this sovereignty and, and providence of God should demonstrate that He's worthy of our trust and our confidence. I'm going to turn this off just for a second so you don't have to I think that we can clearly see God's sovereignty and, and His providence at work in this story that, we've, that we're studying for the next five weeks. Go ahead, if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up. And I'm, I'm just going to touch on a couple of points. This will refresh those that were here. And it will help you guys that weren't here kind of catch a glimpse of, of what we're talking about. You see, it was no surprise to Christ that Jesus was sick. In fact, when the message came to him, he knew. And he says, this illness does not lead to death, but it's for the glory of God. You see, he had an understanding. He already knew that it was going to happen. That was John chapter 11, verse 4. And, and as he was encouraged not to go, he teaches this amazing principle of how he can trust God in the midst of an uncertain situation. And that's really what we're going to see today. And, and I think it's really ironic. I think it's really ironic that, that this attribute, this quality of God, this, this, this part of His person, personality, I guess you'd say, it, it puts Him in this place that, that, that exalts Him over all other things. But yet so often, so often, it's something we try to ignore or deny. You're not going to tell me you deny it, and I'm not going to tell you I deny it. But every day in the decisions we make, the way we walk, and the way we establish our, our safety nets around us, who are we really trusting in? Who are we really counting on? Haiti. Think about Haiti. Why, why wouldn't we want to talk about God's sovereignty or His providence when things like Haiti happen? Well, if God knew that was going to happen, if, if He knew it was going to happen, why didn't He do something? Oh, man. If we begin to deal with questions like that, they're tough to answer. In fact, I, I get an email every week, and, and um, it's a question of the week, and I don't remember, it's from some website, and, and every week there's some question that deals with things of a spiritual nature, and this week, because of what happened in Haiti, the question was, can God be good when He allows suffering? Now, you guys will remember last week, if you were here, you, sh you should remember that 
that was one of the premises of the whole lesson, is that we can trust in God's goodness even in the midst of suffering. But if we really are saying that God is sovereign and that His providential care and concern for people should protect them, well, why do things like that happen? What, what do we do when things like that happen and we can't answer those questions? Well, that's why we're so often ready to ignore this part of God. We want to trust in it when it's good for us, but we're ready to deny it when it's difficult to deal with. But I think we'll see through the lesson today, and as Jesus teaches us, that God's always good, and that His providence never fails. You know, one of the neat things about what happened with Haiti, and it's already beginning to happen, just a few short days after the tragedy, one of the neat things that we're seeing happen already, a country that's been overlooked, not thought of, has got the eye of the world. It's got the attention of the whole world right now. You know what's interesting about that? Is that even people who are lost are taking note and they're seeking to do something. Last night on Saturday Night Live, I don't typically watch the whole thing, but I caught a glimpse of, of uh, oh, what's the news portion of it? I, I don't remember what it's called. It's something like Weekend Update or something like that. There's a portion where they make jabs at all the news stories of the week. And at the very end of it, instead of making a joke or some final thing to, to really just be funny, the guy changes cameras, changes tone, changes everything, looks directly into a camera and says, and if you want to do something to help the people of Haiti... Here's a website address. Go here. Donate. This very week, James McDonald, a pastor of a big ministry, and Mark Driscoll, pastor of another big ministry, got together and put together a website called Churches Helping Churches. It's www.churcheshelpingchurches.com with the specific purpose of churches and individuals giving to the churches of Haiti. Because as all of the funds roll into Haiti and as, as all of the secular people stand to support Haiti, the churches aren't necessarily being considered. But as we learned last week, this is a time when God's glory can be truly seen, where His power can be made very evident. And now churches are rising up. And the eye of the world is on this nation. And who knows what God can do with this attention. You see, I first recognized this or realized this the first time I went to Nicaragua. I went to Nicaragua as a result of people being out of homes. The, the idea was that we'll build homes and we'll share the gospel. We get there and we begin to find out that part of the reason that people were out of homes, part of it was that the nation is very poor. I mean, they compete to be the poorest nation in all of the world with Honduras, basically on a daily and weekly basis, or at least that's the way it was. That may be different today, but that's the way it was. But they had numerous people that were living in shanties. I mean, whatever scraps people could find along the side of the road and, and tree limbs and black plastic, and they would string it up and they'd call it a house. And I couldn't believe the poverty. And I thought, what in the world has happened that's, that's brought these people to this place? What, wh where has, has, has this come from? 
And I struggled and I, I prayed diligently over this. And this, was, this brought me to a place where I was questioning, God, where are you? How could this people suffer like this? And they began to share a story about how the, the attention of many people came to be on um, Nicaragua. You see, there was a, a hurricane that went through Nicaragua and made most of these people destitute. And it came into Nicaragua, and rather than being high winds and, and damaging and just tearing down structures like we're typically used to seeing, it came in and it settled and it dumped gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of rain. And as it did that, this particular place that we were working that year had a volcano, and that volcano began to fill with water. I mean, this is how much rain there is. The volcano blows out the side and kills thousands of people. I thought, man, that is terrible. But the men that we were there with, they, they run a, a, an organization called Project Hope. The men that we were there with that started Project Hope first heard that story about two or three years before. And that story touched them so greatly that they began traveling to Nicaragua to help build houses and help put these people back in houses. And as they did that, they noticed one thing was missing. You see, they were doing a great social work they were they were doing a great a, a very good deed but the gospel was missing and so they came home and they began to talk amongst themselves and most of them all live here in Springfield and they began to talk to one another and they formed an organization that would not only build houses but that it would also share the gospel you see and out of that horrendous event God worked great good. And there are people that I know personally, one of which has already gone home, that will be in heaven because of a terrible accident, a terrible incident that God used for His glory. And we're already beginning to see things like that happen in Haiti. It's just days after. And who knows? What glory God can use. Who, who knows what, what, how God can use this instance. But, but instead of asking and saying, well, God, I can't believe you let this happen. Instead of coming to this place where we think that I, I can't believe in God's providence anymore. I can't believe that God's sovereign anymore because He allows these things to happen. We must recognize that even though God is sovereign, even though His providence is at work in this world, we must recognize. We must recognize that suffering and trial and tribulation are real in this world. And I would say quit blaming God and recognize the source. You see, we're fallen. Every one of us are fallen. We live in a world that is cursed. And things happen every day as a direct or indirect result of sin. And rather than blaming God and pointing our finger at Him and saying, why aren't you working? Terrible things are happening. I would say we should be accepting. Now, I don't want to say accepting. But we shouldn't be surprised to see the bad things. You see, what we should be surprised of is that God saw fit to come into this world, 
and to do a work. You see, it shouldn't surprise us that we're studying a story of a man who got sick and who died. What should surprise us is that Jesus Christ came into that situation. He walked into that mess. And not only could He do a work, but He did do a work and He showed His glory. You see, it shouldn't surprise us that terrible things happen. It should surprise us that God's decided to make something out of it. Something that none of us deserve. That none of us could earn. But He brings great good out of these difficult situations. You see, Jesus didn't just jump up as we studied last week and go back to Mary and Martha and heal Lazarus. In fact, if you'll remember, it says that Jesus gets this message of this man that He loves is sick. And it says this, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard this, or heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. He loved them, so He stayed. He loved them enough to show them His glory, and so He stayed where He was at. Then after this, He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to Him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And they begin to try and talk Him out of it. I want you to see why. I want you to understand the controversy that surrounded Jesus. I want you to, to, to feel this because they were truly afraid, I believe. I believe that, the, that they were truly afraid of what would happen if they went back. You see, they, they, they hear Him saying, hey, we need to go back. And, and they're remembering what has just happened. You see, there was this huge controversy that swirled around our Savior. There was, there was one team that, that believed He was the Messiah, and obviously that's His disciples and many of the people that, that came to see Him do amazing works and believed in Him and believed in who He was. But there were also those that were threatened by Him and what He taught. And they wanted nothing more for Him to be dead. A simple, book, a, a simple walk through the book of John where, where we have been before. John 4, 1-3 says this, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus Himself did not baptize, but only His disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. You see, they were threatened. They were looking at what was happening in His ministry and they were threatened. And He recognized that and so He left. John 5.18 says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. John 7.1 says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were trying and see, or were seeking to kill him. John 8.58-59, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He claims to be God, and they are angry. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. John 10, 30-33. I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It's not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. You see, the controversy surrounding Jesus was real. The, the, the tribulation that he was dealing with, the persecution that he was dealing with, was real. 
But what we're going to see him do is not simply run and hide and not trust in his father any longer. We're going to see him now teach that in the midst of this, because of this, in spite of this, you can trust in the providence of God. You see, because as he answers his disciples, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, you're right. He doesn't say, okay, you know what? We probably better not go back there because I don't want to get stoned. But he answers them with this. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. You see, they're still, they're, they're not getting it. They're not understanding. They're saying, well, well, wait a minute. If he's going to recover, there's no sense in putting yourself in harm's way. There's no sense in going. He's going to recover. Stand on your own. Make your own way. Do your own thing. Even though he's already told them that this was for the glory of God. See, what he's telling them, and, and, and really what we're seeing happen is we're seeing Jesus trust in his father begin to shine through he, he's about to convince his disciples he's about to tell them that Lazarus is really dead and that he has to go that this is part of the plan that it's always been part of the plan <clears throat> but his illustration in this passage it, he, he, he takes and he compares a person traveling during the day and a person traveling at night to how we live our lives you see, he, he's, he's telling these guys, now let, let's just get the picture of it, because we don't live like this today. Most of us, when we want to go somewhere at night, we climb in our car, we turn on our headlights, and we drive down the road, and we don't think twice about it. Much different back then. They couldn't do that. They couldn't grab their mag light out of their toolbox and shine it around and walk where they wanted to walk. When it got dark, they stayed home. That's, that's what they did. And when it was light, they did what they could. You see, what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm going to walk in the day. I'm going to walk in the light. And because of that, I'm not going to stumble. I can walk confidently and courageously and, and know that I'm not going to stumble. And even if things didn't work out the way he had expected them to or thought that they might, he knew that, that his Father was going to be glorified. He knew that what he was there to do, what he was about to do, was going to bring glory to his Father. And so he wasn't living to bring himself glory, and he wasn't living to exalt himself, and he wasn't living to build up his retirement or set up some nice home in the, in the, on the beach so that when he got old, he could go and live there. You see, he didn't live for that. He lived in the moment for the glory of the Father. And he knew that as God called him to go, he must go, despite the danger. But because it was God calling him to go, he could go confidently. You see... Jesus trusted His Father so much and He knew with great certainty that God's plans would be fulfilled, that He knew He could go to this place and do this work and know that God's plans would never be foiled. You see, Jesus knew that He was to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knew that there was danger. Jesus knew that the Jews were angry at Him. Jesus also knew that there was a cross facing him. Jesus also knew that the anger that the Jews held for him was going to bring him to that cross. Jesus also knew 
that there was nothing going to change that path. Jesus also knew that that timeline could not be changed because that timeline belonged to God, the Father. So Jesus knew that with great certainty He could walk forward trusting in the Father to do a work that He'd been sent to do. Now, you might say, well, hey, that's Jesus. Sure He can do that. Sure He can see all the all, all how God's working in the midst of, of trial and tribulation. Sure he's, he, he, he's trusting His Father. He's Jesus. But I would submit to you that Jesus didn't share this with His disciples because it was meant just for Him. I would submit to you that Jesus shared this with His disciples and it would radically change the way they lived. And I would submit to you that as we're reading about it in Scripture, that He's calling us to trust Him with this same dependent, confident, courageous, bold trust. And know that He's got our back. That He's gone ahead of us. That He knows. And that where He calls us to go, we have no reason to fear in going. You see, Jesus, one of the greatest, one of the greatest moments in all of the Bible, at least in, in my opinion, is Jesus sitting before Pilate. Not just teaching this to disciples, but, but actually living it in, in, in a very open way. You see, Pilate is interviewing him, and he says, Hey, man, don't you realize that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you. Pilate's letting him know, hey, i got your life in my hands. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to respect me here. You're supposed to answer questions like I want them answered. You're supposed to, to, to respect and honor me in this moment. I have power over you. You remember how Jesus responds? You would have no power over me had it not been given you from above. As being indwelt believers by the Holy Spirit, I believe we have that same assurance. That while God knows no surprises, and, and, and while His, His, His providence and sovereignty calls us to worship and adore Him, and, and, and while it calls us to trust Him and give our confidence to Him and align with Him and obey Him, we have this assurance that as we follow Him, as we go where He's called us to go, as we live in His will, there is nothing that will thwart His plan. There is nothing that can take us away from that. There is nothing that can stop His will from being worked out in us and through us. Now, I don't think that Jesus is telling us that, hey, look for the easy road. When you find that easy road, that's when you know you've got it. That's when you know you're living in my will. Jesus didn't have an easy life. His disciples, as they went after Him, after the resurrection, they didn't have an easy life. Life 
is tough. Some days it sucks. It's hard to deal with because of sin. Instead of pointing at God and blaming Him for all of the terrible evil in the world, and instead of blaming Him for all of the, all of the suffering and trials and tribulations, remember, it's a result of sin. And recognize how He might work in the midst of it, through it, in you, and through you. But Jesus made a contrast. You see, because He knows that believers aren't always going to try and walk in the light. In fact, what did He say? Listen to it again. He says, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, I think that this reference really is talking about people who know the difference. I mean, I think that you could easily see people who are non-believers illustrated here. They're riddled with sin. Even the most noble decisions made by lost people are, are affected by their sinful nature. But as believers, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we have the opportunity and the ability to actually make good decisions, not because they're from us, but because of the work He's done in us. And we, we, we actually get a choice to do good and to do bad. And we actually get a choice to, to follow Him and walk in His will or not. And I think that what Jesus is really showing these guys and is really pointing out to these people is that, hey, you don't follow Me you're going to live with confusion and trouble and trial and you're not going to be able to see me. You're not going to be able to understand what I'm doing. You're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to see my providence at work. You're not going to see my sovereignty. You're going, to, you're going to build your retirements. You're going to build your nest eggs. You're going to build all your safety nets and you're, going to, and you're going to surround yourself with all of these things that make you feel good about yourself and your position in this world and they are going to let you down and you're going to stumble and you're going to fall and you're going to be tripped up and you're still not going to understand because you're not following me. See, I think He wants us to understand that. He wants us to understand that it's His providence that gives us assurance, not the size of our bank account. It's His providence that gives us assurance. It's His sovereignty that gives us assurance, not our status in our culture. It's His providence and His sovereignty that give us assurance, not our position in the company that we work. It's His providence and His sovereignty that give us assurance and not the things of this world that we can accumulate and make us feel good about ourselves. You see, it's providence, His providence and His sovereignty that we're to trust in, that we're to, that we're to walk in, that we're to follow. And, 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 and it's His will that we're to live in. It's, it's His way that we're to walk. Don't hear me saying get rid of your 401k and sell your house and get rid of your car. Don't hear me saying that. What I'm saying is don't trust in them for your assurance. Don't look to them for your safety. Don't hope in them for your identity. Look to God and who He is and what He's promised and what you know He's doing. Look to Him for, for, to, to make you the new creation that you've become. Look to Him to work in you and work through you and, and, to, and to change you and to change the world around you to bear fruit in you. You see, the key is not what you can amass. The key is simply following Jesus. It's living in His will. Walking in His way. The key is not 
living this life and making yourself look good to everyone around you. The key is simply following Jesus. Living as He would have you to live. Being obedient to His commands. Walking in the way that He walked. Following His example. Going even places that might be fearful for us to go. What does that look like? How do we know if we're living in God's will? What does it look like to, to walk in His way? I, 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 Seth, I don't understand. I, I, I want to I live in His will. I want to walk like He walked. I want to do the things that would honor Him and bring Him glory. But I don't know if I'm always right. How do I do it? You see, oftentimes we make this so difficult. We, we, we bring it to places where I don't think it belongs first. We're, we're worried about... Do I take this job or this job? What's God's will for me? This job or this job? Do I leave this job or do I stay with this job? Do I buy this car or not this car? Do I, do, do, do I, do I have this house? Am I giving too much away? Am I not giving enough away? Do, do I need to build, build a bigger retirement account? What's God's will? You see, I, I think we bring it to these circumstances of life and we make it much more difficult than what we should. You want to know God's will for your life? You want to know how to live as He has called you to live? Number one, believe in Him. Believe in Him. I'm not saying just assent to His... uh, have an intellectual assent. I'm not saying just have knowledge of Him. I'm saying trust Him. No one can please God without faith. You want to live in His will? Jesus said, follow my commands. What are His commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's the greatest command. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, I would, I would, I would challenge that oftentimes in, in our culture of consumption and, and, and getting what we can get, we forget that, that it's not God's will first. These things are not God's will first. God's will first is to trust Him. God's will first is to love Him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole body, our whole being. And it's to love our neighbors, to love the people around us like we love ourselves. God's God's will for us is not to keep His message of the cross quiet and to keep it to ourselves. He says, go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. You see, God, His, you want to live in His will? Then whatever job you're doing, love Him with all your heart, mind, and soul. Do that job to the best of, his, uh, the best of your ability that He might be glorified in you. You have a 401k account? Build that account and, 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 and know that God's blessing you with it. And when He calls you to give it away, you catch it in and give it away. Do you want to live in God's will? Then quit being afraid to be a witness and get up and go tell somebody that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose again, giving the hope of eternal life. That's how we live in God's will. Every day, we get to walk into a world that needs Jesus, that suffers greatly. I've got a, I've got a really good friend. Same age as I am. I graduated high school with him. And he had, a, about four months ago, he had a heart attack. Just nearly killed him. Now that wakes me up. That makes me think. But what do you think he's thinking? He's lost as a goose. 
What do you think he's thinking? You think he's thinking, well, I hate God because he gave me a heart attack. Could he be thinking, God, if you're really real, show yourself to me. Could, Could he be thinking, man, I just wish somebody would help me understand. Absolutely. Whose responsibility do you think it is to go and talk with him? It's mine. Who do you know that needs to hear? Who do you know that needs to see you love God no matter what? Who do you know that needs to see you following Jesus no matter what the cost? You want to live in God's will? Let's follow His commands no matter what we're doing and no matter what we have and no matter what our status and culture looks like. Let's follow His commands. You want to live in God's will? Worship Him with your whole life. Paul told us to lay our lives down, to give them up as a living sacrifice. Give up the things in this world that you want and chase after God. This, Paul says, is your spiritual act of worship. You want, to, you want to follow God and you want to live in His will? Worship God and no other. You want to live in God's will? Recognize that you are a sinful person. And I said that to you, but I need to say to you, that I've already dealt with this. And I know I am a sinful person. And repent of that sin and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and worship God alone. And you know the great thing about this is You know the great thing about being able to live with this trust in God's providence and in His sovereignty is that not to make light of what happened in Haiti or not to make light of things that happened in Nicaragua, but that we can know and we can walk with assurance that God is always on His throne. No matter how dark it may seem here, His light will never go out. And that we can know with assurance that He is at work. Well, Seth, I I, I hear what you're saying. I know you're telling me, okay, I just live in His will. How will I know if I'm getting it right? How will I know if He's really at work in me? How will I know that I'm living in His will? Galatians 5, Paul is dealing with this, this church that has been misled. And they, they, they've been called to, to, to turn back to the works of the flesh and depend on those. And, and, and he's trying to help them see that there is no work that's worthy of what they've been given. And he comes to this place in chapter 5 where he gives us a contrast that I think is especially important as we look to see and, and have assurance that God's truly at work in us. And he says, I say, walk by the Spirit starting in verse 16. 
And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And he says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Now those are some pretty big ones, aren't they? We, we don't want to bow before idols. We, we look at people who have a statue in their house and we think, oh man, they really got problems. What idols do you have? I, I don't sleep around with a bunch of women. I, 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 don't, I don't do things that would be outside of the bounds of what God would call sexually immoral. But wait a minute. He goes on. Sorcery. I don't do witchcraft. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. But wait a minute. Those don't sound... Ah, that's kind of acceptable. Isn't it, isn't it okay to be a little bit jealous of what other people have? Isn't it, isn't it okay to, 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 to want the things that they've got? Isn't it all right if, if, if I see somebody driving a nice car that, I, man, I really wish I had that car. Man, I really deserve that car. I work hard. Hmm. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. Those are things that happen every day. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, I think Paul's drawing a contrast. Not, not trying to tell us, okay, if you'll act like this, you'll look really good and God will accept you. But if these things become evident in your life, you can see which team you're hitting for. You see, if, 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 if your life is really made up with sin, you've got a problem. If, if, if your life is, is ate up with unrepentant sin and you're just wallowing in your sin and, and not really feeling guilty over it, I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to call you to trust in Christ as your only Savior. Because if you're walking by the Spirit, you see, this is what He does in you. This is not what you do in yourself. This is not the work you set up for yourself. It begins to show as His, as his work in you. If you can see love in you, a real love, a sacrificial love, if you, if you can see joy in some measure and in growing measure, if, if you can see peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, if you can see those things in you, the fruit of the Spirit. Be encouraged. Because you're growing and you're being changed by Him. And continue to walk in His way. Continue to live in His will, trusting in His providence and in His sovereignty, going where He calls you to go, not counting the cost, but knowing that He's going to protect you all along the way, even in the face of trial and tribulation, knowing that you will see His work evident in you as you love people, as you're, as you're experiencing joy and as, as you're experiencing peace, and all of a sudden this kindness comes out of you that you can't explain, and there's this peace in the face of, of great trouble. 
and, and, and you're dealing with these things that, that are happening in you that are not of yourself, you begin to recognize that the Spirit is at work and He's changing you and you're growing in Him and you continue in His will and He continues to build you and He continues to change you and He continues to work in you and it becomes evident to the people around you and they are suddenly struck by this idea that, oh my goodness, there's something going on in this person and they're converted by the power of Christ in you and through you. You see, that's the work of God. That's what He does. It's not our place to determine how much fruit we'll bear and how many people He'll use us to bring to the knowledge of His truth and His glory. All it is for us is to trust in His sovereignty and in His providence, to walk faithfully and obediently where He calls us to go so that He might use us for His purpose for His glory, for His honor. You want to live in the will of Christ. You want to live in God's will. Make yourself obedient to Him. Worship Him. Trust Him. Follow His commands. And as you do that, be encouraged by the fruit that you will see. Every head bowed and every eye closed.